Our first reading is from the Old Testament this morning, from the book of Leviticus, chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, and chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you live, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading this morning is from the letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him, and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and took care of him, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Uh, Philippians. Let's talk about Philippians 2, 1 through 4. 
So the text starts off with the word so. Uh, so, if there is any encouragement in Christ, in Greek it's just uh, therefore, which of course points us back to the text that we looked at last week, right? So we read the text last week. Therefore, so the text last week, uh, uh, you'll remember, was uh, about, about unity and suffering. And uh, when we as a church suffer, uh, God calls us to live as one, uh, as evidence that the gospel is real. Therefore, if that's true of uh, verse 1, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if you are in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one, uh, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So what Paul's going to do is, this, so last week, if, if you just read the reading last week, uh, you might have the impression that Christian unity is just a pragmatic means to an end, right? I mean, so when the church, when, when people suffer, it's good if you have friends to share it with. That helps mitigate the, the sorrow, right? Or it's a sign also to unbelievers that the gospel is real. Now, this is true, but Paul's going to take it one step deeper in chapter 2. It's not just that Christian unity is helpful. It's that it points to something larger and more fundamental. It points to our identity in Jesus Christ. All right. It's not just that it's good and that it's nice. It's that it touches reality. Christian unity touches the heart of God. And so uh, that's what today is about. And then... Uh, Next time, uh, verses 5 through 11, uh, you'll recognize that when we get to it. It's a famous uh, text that I actually think I've already preached on Philippians 2, 5 through 11 once this year, but it's good enough that it's, it can stand, uh, it can stand another go at it. But, uh, let's look at this text uh, this morning here, verses 1 through 4. So just the structure of it, uh, there's basically three parts to it, uh, three sort of stanzas, and each stanza has like four concepts, like four lines in it. So, uh, stanza number one, look, verse one. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, that's the first stanza. The second stanza is complete my joy, which actually, uh, verses one through four in Greek, it's all one long sentence. And complete my joy is like the verb. It's like, it's the, it's the main part of the sentence and the rest of it's, uh, dependent clauses. So complete my joy, four things here again, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. And then uh, verse 3, here's the third stanza with, again, four concepts. Uh, One, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So uh, that's kind of the structure. And what Paul is doing, basically, is he's starting off with... We'll use each one of those stanzas as a main point. Uh, Paul starting off with our identity in Christ. That's verse one. Uh, two, our identity in Christ will result in Christian unity. That's verse two. What does that Christian unity look like on the ground? Is it just, I feel one with you guys? Or when we get together for the 60 minutes we get together each week, we don't fight? Or is there something like, is there a way that it's supposed to look? 
Uh, the answer is yes. That's verses 3 and 4. All right, so let's start off with the identity part of verse 1 here. Uh, this is all, you also notice, too, if we were reading this, this is one big if-then clause. You know, like, so if I had a million dollars, then I could travel the world, right? This is like that, only it's not a hypothetical. It's more, uh, it's more predictive than that. If you are, if your identity is in Christ, verse 1, then, verses 2 through 4, the church will experience unity if your identity is in Christ. Okay, uh, first one, the identity of the Christian in verse 1. Uh, so if there's any encouragement, encouragement for what? Well, in the context, uh, I almost asked that like this was a Bible study and I expected you to answer. I'm glad nobody did. That would have been awkward. Uh, but you can if you want to. If, if, if you ever feel like shouting out in the sermon, uh, don't let me stop you. That would be fine. Uh, what encouragement for, well, in the context, it's encouragement in the face of suffering, right? I mean, chapter one is all about Paul's suffering. He's chained to this Roman, to this imperial soldier in this prison in Rome. And the people at Philippi are worried about him. Like, you're in prison and we're sending you some money and some food. And Paul says, don't worry about me. I'm having a good time here. That's actually too flippant. He's not having, he's, he calls what, what he's going through affliction. But he does say, I'm happy to be here. I shouldn't say even happy. I'm rejoicing to be here. Because the gospel's going forward. I, yes, I am chained to this imperial guard, but he's also chained to me. Like he has to hear the gospel. And this is good. All of Caesar's household is going to get a good dose of Jesus. All right. So in the face of suffering, where do you get your encouragement from? Paul talked about in, in one, your identity in Christ as it works out in your connection with the body of Christ. So if you do have this encouragement in Christ, Your encouragement becomes because you are connected to Jesus. If you have any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, your encouragement also, this this harkens back right to verse 30 of chapter 1, where it's this oneness with Christ that's going to get you through suffering. This, this, I'm sorry, oneness in Christ, but oneness in Christ, in Christ's body. Oneness with the Christian church that's going to get you through suffering. If you're experiencing this, if you're experiencing this encouragement in Christ, this participation, the word there in, in, in uh, Greek is fellowship, this fellowship in the Spirit. Uh, we can also take from this that any comfort from love is the love that's coming from God to us in Jesus Christ. Are you experiencing the, the affection and sympathy that comes from being connected to Jesus Christ and participating in the life of the Spirit? Uh, you should be. I mean, this language here is really, really emotional, isn't it? I mean, Paul... We're used to Paul being, Paul being a little bit logical, maybe even a little bit too logical. But here he is, he's uh, being emotional. And the reason why is he's going to appeal to the whole human. He's going to make reasonable arguments, but he's also going to say, don't you want to feel this? Don't you want to like tangentially experience the affection of God for you? The love of God for you? The fellowship of the whole, experience the life of the Spirit. Don't you want to feel this too? In Christ, you will. And and when when you do this, when you experience this Christian unity, this unity with Jesus in the Spirit, you you are also going to experience unity with the body of Christ. This is verse two. So the first thing, and this is, I don't want to pass over this too flippantly. The foundation of this text is our identity in Christ. You are one with Christ. Therefore, verse 2, you're going to be one with other Christians. If you are connected to Jesus, complete my joy, he says in verse 2. 
by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full of court, full accord and of one mind with each other. Complete my joy. That's kind of, I mean, I told you that's the, that's the main clause of the sentence, right? What does he mean by complete my joy? Well, this isn't the first time he's talked about joy. You'll remember from chapter one, he talks about joy quite a bit. In fact, he links joy with two separate things in there. One is being connected to this Roman soldier. Like he tells him, okay, you heard I was in prison. Uh, yes, I'm in prison. But the important thing is that in every way, whether I'm chained up to this Roman guard or whether I'm free, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know that through your prayers, I will see salvation. Paul rejoices for two reasons here. One is because he gets to suffer for the sake of Jesus in proclaiming the gospel. The other is he gets, he rejoices because he is one with the Philippian Christians. Again, for the sake of the gospel. In chapter one, Paul's happy because the gospel is being preached. I'm trying, I know I'm kind of repeating myself. Let me say this a little bit clearer if I can. Paul is rejoicing because the gospel is being preached. There are two ways that the gospel gets preached in Philippians one. One, the first, is through the suffering of Christians. When unbelievers come face to face with the suffering God, Jesus on the cross, by seeing suffering Christians. The second way that the gospel is preached in chapter one, when God, is when God's people become one. When God's people unite together. These two things make Paul happy. And so he's saying here in chapter two, complete that joy. I'm already experienced this joy, but bring it to completion by being of one uh, being of the same mind. This has to do that. The, the word mind has to do like with our thought life, right? With uh, the things that we think about. Having the same love. This has to do with our emotional life. Being in full accord. That Greek word behind full accord is just it's, it's the word for same soul. Having the same soul, the same heart. Having the same goals. Having the same desires. Having the same plans. And of one mind is the fourth thing. So, so, uh, your intellectual life, I shouldn't say your, our intellectual life together as intellectual beings, our emotional life together as emotional beings, our volitional life together as people who have desires and make choices. And I, I don't know, tell me if I'm wrong. So Paul, you know, he's doing this like pattern of four things here. And it's like he says, okay, so your brain, your emotions, your volition, Oh, I need a fourth thing here. And he just goes back and repeats the brain again. See, in, in that list of four, being of the same mind, and at the very end, he, he says the same thing. It, being of one mind. And, and in Greek, it's the same thing too, just like it is in English. Now, is Paul like, was he like stumbling around and just repeated himself? Because he's like, I got to keep this pattern of four going, but I, I ran out of things to talk about. Or is he actually trying to make a point? I think the point he's trying to make here is, The life of the mind is super important. We have to have one mind. He's going to go on. Next week, you'll see this in verse 5. He's going to say, have this same mind in you that Jesus has. That's what verse 5 says. So back in verse 5, when when we get to next week, we'll be focusing on the life of the mind again. Having the same mind. We as Christians should be one in mind. Does this mean that we need to say, that that, that we need to think the same thoughts? Uh, The answer is uh, no, of course. Uh, there is a diversity of gifts of the Spirit. Uh, a lot of us in this room have different opinions about different kinds of things. Uh, that's a totally appropriate way to be human in a community, to think different thoughts, to have different ways that your brain works. Some of you are very logical. Some of you are more intuitive. Some of you are introverted. Some of you are extroverted. 
Some of you are more sensitive to people's feelings. Some of you are more take charge type people. And this is, this is the, this is a good, some of you have different ideas about how things should get done. That's completely appropriate. There is a diversity of gifts, but there is one spirit, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. You, you are, we are going to think different thoughts, but our minds should be oriented in the same direction. They should have the same goal. Uh, uh, two, two weeks ago, uh, Kate went to a clarinet camp. Can you believe there's actually a, a camp just for people who play, play the clarinet? It's sponsored by a shop in St. Louis that's just a clarinet store. Like, what a world we live in, right? And so she went to this clarinet camp, and, and they told them uh, right when they got in, uh, right when they got in there, they said, uh, you guys have, most of you have always played in a band. You've had a clarinet part, and you have this part, and you're, you practice it, and you play. But there's like four other clarinets with you playing the same note. And now, for the first time, you're going to play in an ensemble, and you're going to be completely on your own. Kate was put into a quartet. There was a girl who was, uh, uh, well, actually, she was the youngest one. There was four girls. Um, and they all had different parts in this piece, and they were going to practice it during the week, a series of pieces. And then uh, at the end of the camp, there was a concert, and uh, Angela and I and Reeve went. And uh, Kate and her three friends uh, played this uh, Mozart piece. Uh, it was a piece from uh, Ina Klein and Nacht Music. And uh, they all sat down, and they all played it together. And they all played completely different parts. But, but, but it wasn't an argument. What they weren't doing is saying, Kate wasn't insisting, I'm going to play a fast, high part right now. And I don't care what you guys think, this is what I'm doing. They all played together, completely different notes. But they all played the same piece of music together as one. It was four separate clarinets, but there was one Mozart. And because of that, there was something beautiful. And you walked away being impressed with two things. One was the individual gifts of the clarinetist that played that piece. And the second thing that you walked away impressed was the genius of Mozart. That's actually what Paul's talking about here. Like we're The, the gifts of the Spirit are going to work in different ways. And a lot of times your tendency is going to be like, you're playing a high fast part. I don't like that. I wish I was playing the high fast part. I'm going to go talk to my friends over here about how you're playing that high fast part and you're not doing very good with it. And, or, or maybe I don't even like Mozart. I want to play jazz. I want to play an Artie Shaw piece. And you're over there playing Mozart. And so let's start an Artie Shaw thing over here. And that's the tendency in any sort of community. It'll be the tendency in St. James Lutheran Church as well to be like that. But just remember that there's a genius above and beyond the genius of our individual gifts that we're looking to highlight here, and that's the genius of the one spirit. We're, we are going to, here at St. James, Lord willing, we are going to live the life of one mind. Not that we always think the same thoughts. There will be diversities of opinions. Sometimes there will have to be discussions to iron stuff out. But the goal is a symphony, a symphony of spiritual gifts with one mind playing the same symphony of God's grace. And we can like get down into the weeds and be like, so-and-so did an amazing job on this. Or so-and-so over here is such a loving person. Or this program was so great. Or that music was really great. Or that Bible class was really terrific. Or that fun activity was a real blast. We can do that. But what we'll do, and that's totally appropriate, by the way. It's totally appropriate to look at each other and be like, 
I love that person's gifts. They're not my gifts. In fact, sometimes that gift might get on my nerves, but I can see the great good that that gift is doing. But what I'm going to ask you to do along with Paul here is to step back and do the one mind overview and see the tapestry that God is weaving here at St. James Lutheran Church as we all work together with one mind. Look, this is here's another example. This is one of the beauty of team sports, right? This is why you want your kids to be playing team sports or uh, team music, like Kate did this uh, a couple weeks ago. Because you need good rebounders, and you need good shooters, and you need good ball handlers, and you need good defenders, and you need fast guys, and you need tall guys, and you need smart guys, and you need guys who are going to get down in the thick of it and bump bodies. And you need all these different things, because basketball doesn't happen if it's just one on five. Or if it's one person or five people insisting that they're all going to do the same thing. One of the things that team sports teaches you is that there's a beauty to, to the choreography of a life lived with one mind in a group. That's what God is trying to accomplish here. And, and Paul is saying, I want you to do this, not because it's nice when you all get along, or it's nice when you guys come up with a program or a plan, and everybody works together, and you step back, and you're like, that was terrific. This is true. It's because when we all live the life of one mind, we are participating in the life of the Spirit, and we are experiencing this connection from verse 1, this encouragement in Christ. We are tapping into the heart of the universe. We are tapping into God Almighty. It's not just that we're getting along. It's that we're tapping into God Almighty. We are experiencing what it's like to be one with God. That's what Paul is trying to get us to do here this morning. All right, so how do you do this then? What does this look like? It's, it's nice for me just to stand up here and say, uh, one mind, basketball, clarinet. We're not going to probably play basketball a lot here. And hardly any of us outside of Kate are ever going to play the clarinet in here. So what's this going to look like? Verses 3 through 4 is going to help us. Paul explains, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. The key here to living the life of one mind in Christ is humility. We, as individuals, are not as important as the body of Christ as a whole. This is tough for postmoderns to hear. It's tough for you Americans to hear that sort of thing, that the community is more important than you as an individual. Here's the trade-off, though. You can live life as an individual, and then, like I've said before, you're stuck with your own weaknesses. You're stuck with your own strengths, but you're also stuck with your own weaknesses. Living life in community, you actually start to find who you really are through the lens of everybody else and through the lens of Jesus. By giving up yourself for the sake of others, you get yourself back. Here's a cold logistical way to look at it. I could look out for myself, right? And there's a certain sort of cheap way in which I could do that. I could work hard. I could study. I should do all those things, by the way. I should be a good neighbor. I should be nice to people. But I don't need anybody's help. I just do this on my own. In that scenario, I have one person looking out for me. And there's a certain way that I can do that. Through, uh, you know, through, mainly there's a, there's a, a, a period of time in your life when you're pretty capable of looking out for yourself. Granted, it's not that smooth because, again, I'm sort of, I'm an airhead. That's one, if you, if those of you know me, know that I'm an airhead. I'm the kind of person that frequently says to Angela, hey, uh, where's that pot? And she'll say, it's sitting right there by your hand. That's kind of the way I am. If I'm going to live life on my own, I'm going to go through life like wondering where my pants are and uh, where's that light switch in that room and that sort of thing. 
Okay, I can make it through that way, but that's a short window, and then I'm going to desperately, physically, need other people to help me. Do I want to live my life for that short window when I can sort of hack my way through life just looking out for myself? Or do I want to live a life where I have 160 of my best friends watching out for me, taking care of me? I can have that, but it's going to take humility. I can't be the Lord of you guys. If I want you to love me, if I want you to care for me physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, socially, I'm going to need to serve you. We're going to need to serve each other. Humility is the key. And when we, when we, when we live this life of humility and we begin to experience this participation in the life of the Spirit, the encouragement in Christ, our lives will be happier. They will be more fulfilled. But the most important thing is that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be on full display for the whole world to see. Amen.